Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, yo, Canute. Is that money you're wrestling with back there? It's all my cash. I've yeah. long, been long for a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to hide all my cash. It's like the movie Blow. Yeah. Except with the Jewish guy who's scared of drugs. <laughs> if you could do a movie. Oh, man. I love I that can, movie. I can do just you remember see that, that movie? How I, great was that movie? Oh, that was great. It's kind of like the markets today. Cocaine and now the Fed, same thing. They're printing so much money, like rates are going to go up. Like I know that no one wants to, like rates they say are going negative, and probably they, they, they will. But there's also a great chance because there's so few places like it's going to get expensive to store your money. Speaking of storage today, look at the way I do this now. I'm a natural at you this podcast. You are so advanced now. Yep, because I prepare. Like today, for example, I took an Adderall and here we are. <laughs> So prepared. Today's really smart guys. We're going to have to stay focused. Peter Yared. We worked for like an hour together at CBS. He was CTO of all of CBS Interactive. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So he knows how to connect things. And somehow he thinks I'm smart. So we're friends, invested at his last company, our firm, our fund, Social Leverage, and Sappho. Mm -hmm. Get Sappho. And a huge exit. I don't even remember. Good for him. Yeah. I don't even remember. He just sent me a letter said, hey, here's a check. That's how it works sometimes. You don't work that hard in my business sometimes, and the entrepreneurs do all the work and you make some money. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But he's got a new company called In Country that's blowing up very quickly. Just started it last year. Huh. And he says what's on his mind. It's a data storage company, warehousing company okay. globally. Look forward to hearing what yeah. he's got to Yeah, so he'll explain it in English. And you and I will nod our heads as if we understand. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So we'll get them on the phone. But as uh, usual, we, we do have sponsors. And this one happens to be a portfolio company. Um, so we're ready to go, Knut. We'll yes, get Peter we on are. the phone. Go so this it. episode, Knut, is brought to you by SecFi. It is the first pre-wealth management platform for startup employees and shareholders. A lot of my listeners have stock options or startup shares that you're just sitting on that won't become liquid anytime soon. If you need help exercising stock options or getting cash against your stock, SecFi is the best option. If you are young and work for a rocket ship, we talk about those here on the show, you have a responsibility to take care of your pre-wealth. Don't bury your head in the sand doing nothing with your equity, which is the worst decision you can make. So whether you are looking to secure cash to exercise your options, diversify your assets, or buy your dream house, SecFi is there to ensure that your company's success also becomes yours. To find out more, visit www.secfi.com. That's S-E-C-F-I.com. You will thank us. All right. Knut, let's get Peter on the phone. Hello. Peter. What's up? What's up? Where are you? I'm in San Francisco. Are you in Phoenix? I'm in Phoenix. You're in country. I'm in country. Can you hear me okay? We're, we can hear you fine. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, my internet is just saturated here. Not by me, but by neighborhood. Weasels. 
<laughs> it's all the kids zooming. <laughs> so, uh, who will you hold up with? Oh, my wife, and then my son and his roommate live downstairs from us. Uh, Wait, how old your son? Unit. He's twenty-four. About he has, to be twenty-five. That's cool. So he's downstairs. How about you? Yeah, how about you? Uh, my son is not quite my roommate, although he lives less than a mile away. And does, oh, yeah. does his roommate is uh, Johnny Vape. No, I think he's given up vaping. The uh, I hope so. The I just saw him this morning. Actually, he turns twenty-one tomorrow. Oh wow! No, my son has a roommate. We have an apartment below us. So right, I know, but your unit. son's twenty-four. I'm saying my son. Yeah, yeah. yeah. twenty-one. Did, yeah. You, did you take him to Vegas for his twenty-first? Oh my gosh. <laughs> did you that or no? Been fun. Oh no, no I did you? I thought you said I did not. He's had, he has his own life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and what's it like with him living downstairs as a twenty four year old? It's fine. You know, he when he got laid off, his roommate got laid off. They sit there and smoke pot and we make them hamburgers. You know what would be a better <laughs> yeah. show? I just call them. I smoke pot and call them. That'd be a good show. Yeah, that would be fucking great. Um, <laughs> so, so tell every, I haven't talked to you in a while. Tell uh, my listeners, the uh, stock twits, Twitter listeners a little bit about Peter and in country. And then we'll go backwards a little bit too, because we'll talk a little bit about panic, but tell everybody what you do and who you are. Oh, so my name is Peter Yared. I'm the founder and CEO of a new infrastructure software company called in country. Mm-hmm. And, and the company was based off a theme, a thesis around deglobalization. So the idea was that over time, companies would become increasingly independent, primarily because of technology. And we're starting to see this all accelerated right oh my now. God, but the it's idea crazy is, that you're timing. Exactly. <laughs> I know. But yeah, the idea was, hey, you know, pretty soon you can 3D print or manufacture locally or grow your own food in a vertical farm or greenhouse, you know, grow your own meat. You know, and the idea that, you know, all the washing machines in the world would be made in one place and shipped all over the world. So dumb. You know, <laughs> yeah, so dumb, right? Or a big tanker full of oil is how we would send energy. Like, you know, you know, our kids' kids are going to be like, what? And, and But the thing was, on the Internet side of it, the idea was that it was going to get increasingly balkanized. It was like the last unregulated entity. Like if you go into another country and you set up a McDonald's, mm-hmm. you have to follow a million regulations, right? Just it's so like the food tastes the same. Works. Just so yeah. the food tastes the same, yeah. Yeah, but you have to follow food prep regulations, labor regulations, revenue recognition regulations, tax regulations. The way the door front door works is regulated. Wow. But if you wanted to do buy nine Big Macs, get one for free, you could do whatever you wanted with the data, right? And, and so that is over, right? With GDPR two years ago, uh, and now more and more countries are saying data is the new oil. Our citizens don't like what's happening with it, and they're all regulating the heck out of it. And what we do with in-country is we make it so multinational can operate in many, many countries and then store data in each country because a lot of them have sovereignty regulations or data residency regulations and and comply. Or if you're in a country and you want to use best of breed cloud software like Salesforce Mm -hmm. and you're in the financial services or health sector, you know, you want to use Salesforce, but you can't store your data in the U.S. or Frankfurt, right? It's like stock exchange data or banking Mm -hmm. data. That's where we come in and we're the glue layer that makes it easy to store, you know, regulated data you know, uh, in any country in the world. I had Matthew, dude, congrats, first of all. Congrats to me for uh, responding to your email and investing. So pat on my back, Knut. Yeah, hello. Right. <laughs> uh, 
virtual so, fat. I, I remember getting to the deck and I'm like, I don't know if Tom, Gary, we're just in. Peter just knows what he's doing. <laughs> so I appreciate I that. Honored. Is that like a year ago only? Yeah. So the company was a side project for a couple of years while Fuad and I were doing Citrix the uh-huh. last two years of that. And then, yeah, we started it full time uh, January of 2019. So uh-huh. we are now 16 months into yeah. this project. How uh, many employees are you already? We're at around 80 people. Were you fully remote when you started or no? Yeah. So it's interesting. So this company was fully remote uh, and we only, you're going to laugh, you know, got offices like, you know, in San Francisco starting in September, uh, then in Minsk in November, and then Rostov on Don Russia in like December. And then we had like WeWorks in Sydney and Singapore, Abu Dhabi. And yeah, so now 5% of our spend is going to office spaces unused. But that's not uh, a lot but, considering. No. No, but and everyone's back to being remote. We're all used to it, right? And so I had Matthew on from Cloudflare. Was there any inspiration or do you do anything working with them or do you rely on them? No, you know, we store primarily highly regulated data, right? Like uh, financial services data, health data, you know, employment data, things like that. Um, so we don't partner with CDNs, but in many ways we're like an inverse. CDN, yeah, it's kind right? of, yeah. <laughs> so it is like an inverse the, cause you have to have the scale yes. to have all this data run through it. And then you've got to, so does it build a sales team first or so what of the 80 people, what, what is the breakup? It's primarily R and D still, uh, you know, we feel really fortunate. I was laughing with my board about this. Most of our deals now are brought to us by either large SaaS vendors like Salesforce walks us into deals Hmm. like in the Middle East, right? And Russia, you know, because their deals blocked. They just can't close the business unless they store the data locally and they can store in up to five countries, right? And then all your data has to be in that one country. So it doesn't work if you're running like Salesforce service cloud for health data and you have people calling in from all over the world. (laughs) You need to store their data all over the world. And then the other one is uh, global systems integrators walking us into deals, right? And and if I had said, hey, I'm starting an enterprise software company and, you know, know, 14 months from now, you know, our deal flow is going to come from large SaaS vendors like Salesforce and Accenture. You know, I would have been last out of the room, right? Because usually you have to like hedgehog your way up the chain and all that stuff. But that's really what's happening right now. So we feel really fortunate. So you are not experiencing the panic like most other than, you know, being locked in in San Francisco. You're seeing it outside, but in turn, like the company's not feeling that. Oh, no, we felt it early because half our business is Asia. So this hit for us Uh, in January. I was actually in Singapore when COVID hit, right? Everybody freaked out right before the Chinese New Year. And so we actually, we did a little bit of restructuring early February, right? To to accommodate this. And a lot of it was shifting work out of the US to our foreign locations. And in the Middle East, particularly like the Gulf cooperative area there, you know, the Gulf area, you know, there was a little blip. They don't really have it that bad and everybody just worked from home. Mm-hmm. And in Asia, it's come back. But right now the US and Europe are frozen. You know? Frozen? And so, and what do you think, do you think that fear is real? I mean, obviously there's 60,000 deaths or 50,000 deaths. I haven't added them up today. I have a a screen, but what, what is your take from seeing it around the world? Like what's your take on the whole thing? Look, we see this everywhere. Uh, Look, I'm not a scientist. No, I know that, but but just from a business perspective. Yeah. From a business perspective, look, what's happening increasingly is, 
especially for those that they're experienced with models, right? We've all worked with models most of our careers, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think it's pretty clear at this point that the initial models on this thing were borked. And mm-hmm. it's going through what I like to call like the, uh, you know, five stages of model grief. And, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to find other variables that boost our initial death in su- assumption, right? You know, oh, there's like these, you know, other things happening that we can't measure yet, but they're really important, like strokes. Right? Yeah. You know, you can see we're going to maintain the party line no matter what. Three percent of people will die if you go outside. Right. So I think everybody's kind of going through like, okay, you know, it's not happening in Sweden. You know, all the tech Twitter bro guys think that this thing was like an app in the app store. Look, it's going up and it's going to go up forever. (laughs) Right. We know exponential. Hey, you know what? If you know exponential, you know, at some point it's going to S curve. (laughs) And and we're all starting to see this thing S curve no matter what you do. Uh, So I think people are getting increasingly confident, you know, but on the flip side, you know, are people going to be like hopping into planes and, you know, going to Hawaii? I, I just don't know. So I think certain sectors of the economy are just going to get destroyed. And then for the states that were shut down for like a month, you know, you can see small business coming back. But, you know, for places like California, where like, you know, it's shut down for three months, I, I think it's going to be devastating to, devastating. to the middle economy. Devastating, right? I'm seeing it. Like I see it in Phoenix where it's kind of been loose. We, you know, we've been treated like adults and it's a spaced town and the infrastructure is pretty good and the good restaurants have adopted and it's like a small big town and it's just, and we got the good weather and a lot of sunlight and I think sunlight kills, makes everything better, including the virus. Um, and they're saying that now sunlight is, is it just lasts yeah. less in sunlight. So we've been lucky here, but I think California is just bass backwards. It was bass backwards already. And now it just feels super bass. Backwards. Yeah. It's sad. You know, I look, I, I like to say uh, that the coronavirus has accelerated us 10 years into the future uh-huh. and California was not a good place for the middle class. No. Right. Or even the lower class or the working class. Right. It just wasn't a good place. It measurably, Right. It's like you look at the housing policies, the crime policies, the homeless policies, and they all have good intentions. But when you look at the outcomes, there's no one that would say, oh, you know, I think we should, you know, I just moved to Austin and I think we should do California's housing policies because it went great. (laughs) Such a good point. You know, it's just like the outcomes have been terrible. Right. And, And you can see it now that they're like, we're gonna, we think things are fine because all the tech workers are working out of their house and everybody else can screw off. I you mean, know, they're, literally that's what's of, happening. That is exactly what's happening. You know, when I lived in San Diego, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine a day where I didn't live in San Diego. And now it's hard for me to imagine living there. As great yeah, as, as, great as it is, it, as great it's as it is on tough. the beach and the weather. <clears throat> so, before in country, because I mean, congrats, it's, it's fun to, to talk about it. And, it's, and so far, it's the deglobalization trend is just tipping. Um, and, and you have a lot of insight, so we'll end with that. But let's go back a little in time to give people some, some context. You, I think we, I met at CBS. I was, my company was acquired, and you were already there, weren't you, at CBS Interactive? No, no, you were there because we had bought stock twits, yeah. and, then, and then I came in as the CIO and CTO to kind of uh, retool the entire thing. Who brought you in? Who brought you in? Jim Lanzell. So he, you, you weren't there in the Quincy. To, okay, so you came in after with Jim. <laughs> No, I was in the cleanup operation, right? (laughs) 
So the uh, that's great. Quincy's hilarious. Calls me once in a while. So so Jim's had a fucking great run. He, did he yeah. just leave at CBS? Yeah, he's an EIR at Benchmark now, right? Yeah. He left with the whole CBS Viacom thing. I mean, like he came out on the top, right? Oh he did God. the over the top video, moved them into, you know, subscription, which everybody said, that's not going to work. Dude, it's working. My <laughs> son, I see the one thing he pays for is CBS, uh, yeah. something that uh, CBS subscription product. And then part of his thing was, you know, redoing all the tech, which is why he brought me in. And he was very supportive. It's not like I can magically go in and like rip and replace all the CMS systems. You know, they had their own internal web analytics, their own internal ad server, a bunch of wacky stuff. So we just moved it all into the cloud and retooled it, consolidated. And it really takes a leader like Jim to make that stuff possible, right? Wow. And so now he's a benchmark. I pinged him. He, I, I got to get him on the, the, the pod. The, uh, so you were there six, seven, eight years? CBS? Oh, no, I was only there for three years. It was so only three I, I years. Was basically, so that, yeah, come in, fix it, leave. That was like, you know, he called me up. Do you want to read platform number seven on the internet? I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, I was in between gigs. You were in, <laughs> and what were you doing before CBS? Oh, I had a, a startup called Transpond, which was one of the social marketing startups, right? Kind huh. of like a wildfire or buddy media. And we sold it to web trends. Uh, and CBS was our biggest customer, actually. So our, most of our so customers So was that before like the buddy? Because I was in buddy. So were you same time or before or did you sell it? Same before? time. So you we sold it, wildfire time. sold. And once Oracle bought somebody too. Yeah, yeah. They bought that one in Atlanta. No, we start, we had to sell early, unfortunately, right? So we were really bummed. Uh we did not do as well as those guys. Uh, but, but if you had but not sold point. and then held on, it would have been a disaster. So you, it's just a timing thing. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, it's like, it's all about timing. That's why when I do these things now, there is a side project. So in country was a two year side project. And I like, know that it's right. Let's go do it. And Sappho, actually the project I did with the chief strategy officer at Fuad, you know, Fuad El Nagar, whom you know, yeah. from uh, CBS was a side project the whole time we were at CBS, right? And then we're like, okay, let's go do it. So we were, I told people before we got on that we were investors in Sappho. So just give everybody a little brief background. That was your side project. And Fuad's great. He's still at Citrix? Yes, he's still at Citrix making making the world better. So what was Sappho? So Sappho was very funny because what we realized when we replatformed everything at CBS was we're like, oh, we're bringing in all the best software now, right? Now mm -hmm. people are using Salesforce and Omniture and, you know, and Adjuster and all of these things, right? Double click, you know, they're all going to be productive now. Right. And what we found was even the top SaaS software had miserable user interfaces, right? That people didn't want to use and particularly the occasional users. So, you know, if you had to approve a purchase order or somebody's time off request or something, you just delayed, right? Because you'd have to go to this wacky system. Maybe you couldn't log in and you have mm -hmm. to navigate it and it changed all the time. So, and we realized this was really inefficient for business. So we built this layer that sits on top of all of your systems, particularly the legacy ones, right? Because right. there's yeah. no replacing some old financial system because millennials don't like the UI, right? right? Yeah. And, and so we would put this nice modern layer on top of all of the old stuff uh, so that everybody could just point and click and they would get notifications, you know, if they have to do something and it would learn what you liked with machine learning and it just made it nice and easy. Uh, and, and so that business was acquired by Citrix uh, for 225 million like November, 2018. I remember because I was an investor, so thank you. So, so but it wasn't like an overnight success. You know, these enterprise software companies, Oof, they're, they're a, they're a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're and, a bitch. 
You slogged it, it out. You two guys really slogged it out. And it was kind yeah. of like an anti, because you were dealing with slower, a narrower market and a slower well, adoption curve. Exactly. So, you know, our initial customers, it, for, for, it took us like two years to get, oh, fuck. Oh, sorry. That's somebody else. Sorry. It took us like two years to get it. <laughs> that so was a Peter I thought, moment. I, I thought, because I have no internet. But yeah, no. So it took us like two years to kind of get it all working. The tech was really hard. Uh-huh. Uh, but then we started closing deals, right? Like yeah. Applied Materials and Broadcom and Fannie Mae, like real companies, right? Yeah. Uh, we're deploying it at scale. Uh, and then... Right when, you know, Citrix called us, you know, we were getting calls from like Toyota, like, can you do a deal right now? So it was right at that kind of inflection point. Uh, yeah. But those guys offered us, you know, 10x ARR. Yeah. And it's like, uh, what no, can you do it was at great. That point? It was great. And you're like, because I'm not, I don't understand any tech. I just know people. And you're like a, a regular person CTO. What do you think? made you that is it your parents or is it just that you just not really a geek or like how do you make it sound so exciting i'm a total geek so i started programming computers when i was like nine or ten and let me tell you that was like 1979 it wasn't cool yeah i didn't Uh, say you were cool but you're cool to me i'm saying but you make it english so what because you're kind of like a salesman wrapped in being a geek Yes, because, you know, when I was raised, uh, you know, both my parents had been journalists. My father was a diplomat. We grew up in various countries. We learned different cultures. And so I was just kind of raised in a certain way where communication is important. You know, my mom would edit everything I wrote. And I'm a social person. It's not like every geek is like the art. I didn't mean it that way. I just think, like, you have this ability to bring joy. Maybe what's his name at Amazon, the CTO, uh, uh, the Dutch guy. Uh, I'm having a brain fart. Oh, Werner. Werner. That guy's like (laughs) that too, right? Like where he can just get people excited about stuff they don't fully understand. Like you have the ability to just make it English, like with deglobalization. Like I just got it. Like what a great bet. And, (laughs) and, 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 And making this all remote. The Who are your lead investors in in country? Well, same people from Sappho, right? Oh, okay. So, so uh, it was Ray and caffeinated. Uh, uh-huh. No, Clavier was like, you're too expensive. You know, well, I so were we. in a French accent. <laughs> exactly. Well, he was drinking um, wine. He just burped it. He threw up on He threw it against yeah. the wall and he said, no fucking way. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was in his Kirkwood house drinking very expensive wine. No, I'm kidding. I saw him. He's a great guy. But yeah, he's like this deal, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, no, so it's Ray Tonsing at Caffeinated, who was the God, first I remember. Sappho yeah. and Let Her Be. And then, you know, Cindy Pichu at, at Felicis, right? Led the led That the guy at Felicis. Jesus, what a track record. Amazing. They're amazing to work with. Uh, so just great. Fun. And it was funny, our board meetings, you know, it's uh, Warren Lazarus, same lawyer. Same two people. It's like, uh, you know, we were missing one guy from the last time around, right? <laughs> you know, Stuart <laughs> so It was kind of funny. And what's the pain point of in-country? What's your biggest pain point? It, it, uh, pain point for the customer or for us? For you <laughs> growing uh, in, a, in, a, in a COVID world. Like, obviously, the trend is now your friend. Um, but what is the day-to-day headache? You know, the day-to-day headache is the typical, you know, going from zero to 80 people fast. And we've scaled like that literally between, I think it was like April and November. So in like six or seven months, we scaled the company really, really fast. 
we hired a bit too fast. We had a bit of churn, the usual thrash, you know, yeah. you know, hard for people to align sometimes. And, yeah. you know, and, and so we had like the usual kind of like total mess uh-huh. uh, of a startup, but then we had to get real. I mean, this, this is a compliance company, right? It's like, you know, we were going for a SOC two type two PCI DSS, putting all the processes and procedures in place that, you know, would get banks comfortable storing their data with us, right? And Got healthcare it. providers storing their data with us in places like Russia, right? And yeah. Abu Dhabi. So, so you know, we had to get at a lot of discipline, right? And, and some people didn't like it. I mean, we literally had a guy quit. He's like, I don't like all this compliance stuff I have to do. And we're like, great, yeah. go work somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, so the future, what do you see beyond deglobalization? Like what, what kind of, what what is this tipped off in your brain? Because I know you wrote something to me, and I kind of proofread it and 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 went through it and gave you some feedback. But where, where, where's your head at? Well, I'm calling it the Corona acceleration, right? Like as mm-hmm. one word, and I have a whole series on it. You know that you'll people will be saying, but I mean, a lot of the trends that we already have are are just going to keep happening, and we've touched on some of them, right? Yeah. Like you know balkanized internet, you know, de-urbanization, you know, I mean, do people want to be in dirty, highly dense places taking highly dense public transport anymore, right? So like personalized transportation, you know, uh, artificial intelligence completely subverting privacy. I think those days are over. You know, if every single person is basically a potential terrorist, right, we're all going to get palantir. What does that mean to me? No, because I'm not a terrorists so what does that mean what, what's my paint what what what's ahead for me who's just very open and shares everything what how what's my headache in that world your headache in that world is the government is going to track everywhere you've been and everyone you've been in contact with Got it. right uh-huh. and and then you have other trends like digital currency and contactless payments i'm pretty and bullish really, on digital currency are you i yeah? love it i love Dude, it i am in the last yeah. month it's clicking for me yeah, but Bitcoin, you know, has tracked the market and gold has spiked. I've made 45% on my gold position, <laughs> right? So so what what's really the digital currency? How about a digital version of gold, right? Which, yeah. you know, you have you have Iran has a crypto gold, right? Venezuela has a, a crypto oil. But I didn't you know, know that. China, yeah, but yeah, they do. And China and Russia have just been stocking up on gold for the last five to 10 years. It's unbelievable when you look at the how much they've built in reserves. So right. I would not be surprised if we see stable coins, right, that are basically gold-backed stable coins from these people that want to get out from under SWIFT and sanctions regimes. Yeah, so as a geek, you're just super bullish on that, right? Like, I'm now just starting to think because I had, I, I, you know, I've been long, but not really, I can't express it well. I think and Fred and DeFi and stable coins, some words are starting to make more sense to me around this. And I don't think I've ever been more bullish. Like for real growth, we need decentralized platforms because it's too expensive to live on these centralized platforms. Well, you know, we've all seen the pain of it. And for example, you know, everyone loves to make fun of Trump or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah, he's not a good communicator. and He's got a lot of bad faults, but they're all like the testing problem is because of Trump. No, the testing problem in the U.S. is the CDC. They're like, you know, wizards in the ivory tower. They're like, we are the only people that can make a test and we make it from scratch. Right? Yeah, you know what I mean? uh, and, and that's what we call an engineering land, right? A, a single point of failure which failed right? miserably, uh, miserably. Right. And you see this all over the place. Right. 
And in some ways, you know, the trend has been against regulation, right? Like Uber took on the Taxi and Limousine Commission hmm. and Airbnb took on the hotels, right? Hmm. And, and over time, you know, we need like a decrease in regulation. And I will tell you this, you'll see this at the street level. Like in San Francisco, it was already taking 18 months, you know, to start a boutique store that sold scarves or whatever, right? Hmm. And when this place is empty, every storefront is empty. Is it still going to take that long? Right. <laughs> to set up a store because of some Byzantine set of regulations and neighborhood so feedback, <laughs> you know, it's got to end. Right. But, you know, you're asking about trends and I have a funny one for you because, mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of in the same age, you know, and it's like, guess, guess who finally had to grow up? Millennials. Yes, yeah, no do. one's feeling. Yeah, no one's feeling bad for you when you know grandma could die. Right? Right. You know, stay home, watch Netflix. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so what are you seeing with your son? Like the real life hit my son, but he goes back today to one of his jobs or he's going to wear a, uh, uh, a restaurant job. But what, what, what is your son seeing? He got laid off. How, is he, he's like tail end of millennials. So is it affecting him at all? No, he, these, these kids are, are not really millennials, right? They were raised by Gen Xers. They weren't as helicopter parented. They were like made fun of growing up uh -huh. you know? and they're a little more resilient. Right. Uh, I think he'll bounce back, right? But, I you think know, so too. My wife looks at my son and goes, "He's like so nervous." And I'm like, "He's not like they're just more resilient than you think. Every kid is more resilient than you think." But this generation, uh, this was their first. Like, this is chaos for my son, not being able to hang out with lots of people. Even though when they hang yeah. out with lots of people, they're staring at their phone. Like it's different when they do hang out with people. This being alone thing is freaking them out. Well, you know, it's ended. So, you know, my brother and I go on hikes every weekend because he doesn't yep. leave his house unless I go pick him up. And so we went through the Presidio last weekend because we live right by the, it's a big, you know, area yep. of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And the number of groups of young people that were like congregating out like on the Presidio golf course in front of the Palace of Fine Arts. I mean, we basically taught this whole generation to ignore government. <laughs> it's like a rebellion, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like they can look this stuff up for their for themselves and they're like, okay, bye-bye. We're going to go to the beach right and everybody was so making fun of the. they were all making fun of the beaches in florida that's the beaches in california now right we can't sit here and go oh all these people everywhere else are stupid no it's happening in huntington beach right full of californians uh, and, and coronado like, just opening their beach this week yeah, again exactly and, yeah. and now i can go back to san diego i mean come on we got to be treated as adults so it's true it's the old people locked up the last people to get scared were the fox people and now they're mad that they got <laughs> locked up right they came they caved at the very last minute and now they're mad that they caved if you listen to fox well news. here's the thing it, 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 fox news you know all the news media is of course, terrible, of right? Course, but Fox and has they're that. Particularly, they're yeah. particularly terrible. But I pick on CNN a lot more, right? CNN is like, ah, the government is lying when they say we're leading in tests because they're using total numbers instead of per capita numbers. You know, yeah. this is a lie. South Korea was doing better than us. Literally the same day, they'll say, U.S. exceeds Italy in deaths. But the reason their audience, <laughs> but the reason their audience is a pittance of foxes is for that. Yeah. I mean, people just want to hear what they want to hear. And yeah. I got to tell you on the other side of this, is anyone going to listen to the media or experts no. on anything? No. You know, you had a board to model, you had the media changing their mind every day. You have the CDC saying, wear masks, don't wear masks. You know, you have YouTube pulling videos. It's just like people at this point are like, I'm not going to trust anything. And so what is the trend from that? 
Yeah, you know, it's a tough trend, which is more polarization and more people living in their bubbles, right? You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's it's a little chaotic. I mean, literally, you have to have like a real life use case that's in your face, right? Like Sweden, right? (laughs) You know, moving forwards, you know, they're not dying in droves or or like the moment when the models collided, right? Was when New York was saying, we need 40,000 more ventilators. And the feds were like, oh, no, we updated our data and you don't, right? You know, that's a model failing right in front of our eyes, right? And people thrashing around. And and I think everybody kind of saw for themselves. People think people are stupid and I don't think people are stupid. I think people are really smart actually. Right. And it goes back to that adage, right. You know, you know, you can't fool all the people all the time, but you can fool some of the people, some of them. It's the other way. You can fool some of the people, some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And here collectively you have a global set of people looking at one thing. Right. And how do you express your investing? Like, so you, you own some crypto. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, I own okay. gold. You own gold. Got it. So, <laughs> uh, but, but you believe in cryptocurrencies. I believe in crypto crypt, cryptocurrencies based off of gold. This is very so different than floating on its own, right? And, and, and these are global trends you've had, right? You've had a bunch of countries wanting to get out of the banking system with, you know, with SWIFT because they keep getting sanctioned, okay. right? And they're big swaths of the economy, right? Russia, China, Iran, Venezuela, all of these places we say are bad. And yeah, they are bad or whatever, right? But, you uh-huh. know, we also sanction them left and right. You know, we use the banking system as a weapon against them. Uh-huh. And they've all been slowly peeling out. Yeah. And going through de-dollarization and building up gold reserves. And, you know, when Russia wants to buy something from China, why should they use, you know, dollars, right? They can just use gold as their basis of currency transaction, right? You Interesting. know? Interesting. Yet the dollar is going to spike here, it feels like, because maybe outside of China and Russia, everybody's still dollar, 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 you know, and all the debts are in, got to be paid back in dollars. So it's really an interesting there's still yeah, a lot yeah. more to come. There's still a lot well, more. Well, here's what's interesting come. is is I could never figure out how they could just print all of this money, mm-hmm. and there wasn't rap, you know rampant inflation. And, and I'll never forget this. I was in Hawaii because we had a customer in Hawaii, and it was a guy from a hedge fund. He explained it to me. He goes, "Yes, they made a bunch of money with this endless QE stuff. They just uh-huh. fabricated the money, but they only gave it to banks and rich people." And he goes, this is why the price of milk is the same, but the price of a Picasso is half a billion dollars, right? I was like, oh my God, you know, the light went off for me on that one. But now they've actually spread the money fucking everywhere, right? (laughs) With PPP and direct stimulus payments and, you know, all of this stuff. And we are going to see inflation. There's no way. We are going to see inflation, especially since (laughs) things are going to be more local. Like I expect my favorite restaurants to jack their prices. Yes. Right. The ones that survive. So there'll be select inflation. I've always looked at inflation and said, why, why? Like when people ask me inflation, deflation, I go, don't invest based on those things. Right. There'll always be some inflation and some deflation, depending on what industry you're in. Right. Yes. If you're in the right industry, there's going to be inflation. And if you're in a shitty industry, there's going to be deflation. Right. Look at oil. But, but it explains the stock market. Right. It's yep. like, uh, you know, that uh, Ray Dazio guy said he was around when uh, the U.S. went off the gold standard. He thought the markets would tank. But instead they went up because yeah. <laughs> right? all of a sudden the money was floating. Yes. Right? So so it's not as simple as people want it to believe. I think you have to constantly like you do talk to smart people and let them try and explain stuff to you and kind of be open minded. 
the yes. which is what which is what you you have done. And then uh, in terms of capitalization, you guys have raised 20, 30 million at InCountry or a little less. We've raised 21. So I put in the first million, then the seed round was five. And then we were fortunate to raise a pretty quick uh, A round right after we launched from international investors. So Arbor Ventures out of Singapore, uh, Global Founders Capital out of Berlin. Sure, the I know Rocket Internet guys. guys. Yeah. yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Mubadala out of Abu Dhabi has also been incredible for us as a brand and helping us. You know, Middle East is like 80% of our pipeline right now. And so those guys collectively put in 15 million. So we raised 21 million total and in the space you- of like six months. Did you think that was going to be a difference raising the money internationally based on the deglobalization of the like the idea? Like, do you think it could move as fast if you had just a regular U.S. VC? The U.S. VCs didn't get it, right? Uh-huh. People living okay. internationally were living the problem, right? The people at Arbor were like, oh, my God, we've been seeing this for two years in China. We we're trying to get one of our portfolio companies to do it, but it was too technically technically challenging. So the folks in the regions understand this. They're living it. They make the right introductions. Um, and, and so they all preempted because they, they knew that this was real. And they also knew that the op- the alternative was, you know, DIY. <laughs> you know? Do it yourself. Yeah. And do it yourself ain't happening. Yeah, exactly. And so who, who what's the biggest uh, hire? Wh- where are you hiring now? We're hiring in Abu Dhabi. So we just set up an office there. We hired a general manager there, uh, Khalid Labadibi, who interestingly enough was introduced to us by the folks in Singapore, not uh, the folks in, uh, in UAE. Yeah, so that was pretty funny. Uh, and, and so that's one of our growth areas. Um, I will say we're not hiring in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Uh, that's not happening, you know. And will you ever move out of there? I mean, we're looking to move to Singapore. Cool. We backed our first company in Indonesia, the headquarters Singapore. So I, I, I'm starting to have Zoom calls and it just to see outside the windows in Singapore all the time is cool. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing place. Yeah, and they've been. I mean, talk about though government overstep. I mean, they supposedly I heard yesterday they spent sixty four billion dollars and fourteen people have died from COVID. Yeah, I mean, so, they're having a second outbreak there right yeah. now. But, you know, the thing is, they're just run rationally, right? They're just yeah. like rational technocrats. Uh, and, yeah, they have a lot of rules. But, you know, like my wife and I, when, you know, people are like, oh, my God, you know, how could you go there? Are they cane people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, we're just not the type of people that, like, spit or curse <laughs> or say racial racial things or jaywalk. And we don't right. even have to think about it, right? You know? Good point. Good point. But, yes, I do think it's pretty tight there. Like, when I heard that number from uh, the founder, I was like, whoa, 64 billion, 14 people in America would have just a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, in the end, you do have to, and I hate to say it, but, you know, there, there is a, there is an intersection between public policy and saving lives and economics, and we have it every day. And this is what disappoints me with the press is we already have it with the speed limit. You know, we could all drive 10 miles an hour and nobody would die, but we all drive 65 in your state. I think it's 75 because they right. just have a different culture yeah. valuing economics and death. You know, we all tolerate a certain amount of pollution and the pollution kills a certain amount of people. And, and when we look at the map on this stuff, it's got to be the same equation because we're all already doing it. Right. So interesting. It's just, yeah, the models are going to be fucked up for a long time. I do. You know, I tell people this all the time. I don't try and think about when things get back to normal. All I can think about is what I can control and where my money goes and my money is going digital because less friction, you know. Uh, it's not my fault that that's all I care about. Like, I don't, you know, why should I save an airline? Like in the end, I'm going to travel less. I know it. Yeah. I just know true. it. 
and maybe but I care about I care about everybody. So I mean, there, there's like a whole bunch of people that have just been fucked in America, right, over uh-huh. the last three years, whether they vote for a Democrat or a Republican, and you know, you just look at the base numbers, and they've just been screwed. And yeah. I'm really hopeful that this little shakeup will actually be better for them, right? And you're already kind of seeing it, right? If you have a shit job, right, all of a sudden companies have to pay up more right, yes. to get you to show up for work. Right? Good point. And, and, yeah. And the crazy stuff they've been doing around like shift management and not giving you benefits and all of this stuff, it has to end. Right. And the crazy housing policies, you know, it's just not this place is just not set up for the middle class to do well. Right. And and it's been really brutal. And, you know, it, it's funny because like I remember I was in Taiwan with a friend of mine from junior high school. Right. Because I grew up overseas and we were laughing. They're like, your average Taiwanese is doing better than your average American. Right? Wow. You know, and, and, and I think right now people are comparing countries to countries and they're like, ah, yeah, you know, things are not really that good for your average worker here. Right. And, and I think it has to change. I think it will. The the do you remember the first time you ever panicked? Was it around money or just life? Do you remember? Because you've been successful, but like there has to be a time where, or you just oh, don't care. No. Come on, all of these companies, they're fucking brutal, right? I mean, I mean, I cried. I remember when, when one of my first ones went sideways. I'll never forget, I was on the couch crying, right? Yeah. Say, you know, it's just like, you know, the reason they're, they're funny now is I've made every freaking mistake you can make, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and now they're entertaining. Right. And, and, and I still life. remade it's mistakes, right? It's just yeah. life. But yeah, I'm in a place, fortunately now, where this stuff doesn't really affect me anymore and I can just have more, have more, have fun. Right. And yeah. You have a good attitude, but like you're saying, what I want people to hear is that like the only panic is normal. This whole series came from like, I just saw the VIX going to 90 and people just starting to fucking get crazy. And I said, ah, guys, we need to need to talk to calmer people because even though I this, co- this show's called panic and which means we're supposedly be talking to calm people. Everybody on the show is panicked and uh, experienced what certain people are experiencing on this panic. Uh, they're all different, but in the end, you have to ex- have experienced panic to kind of grow from it. I think the, yeah. what I say about the last generation, my my generation, Peter, I, I had so much debt, that was my panic. Meaning the gov- yeah. everybody was giving me money to spend at Best Buy or Capital One, and I was like not even really employed. There was not even internet. And so yeah. my, my panic was like, how do I make, you know, I was scared of my credit score. Whereas this generation has no, like other than university debt, if they don't have university debt, they're not racking up credit. So they don't have that, oh, like, they're not overextended. Oh, they, are. they are. They are actually, yeah. I mean, it's funny because they all, you think they're all experiential and blah, 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 but that stuff costs a lot of money. It actually costs more than, you know, a purse. <laughs> you know, so you're saying they are, they do have the debt? They're highly leveraged when you look at the numbers, right? It just keeps going up and up. And now, you know, they have the access to like a 72-month car loan and zero interest and all this stuff. So they are over leveraged. And then the education thing is such a scam. I will say this, you know, everyone just realized, hey, you can even get an online degree from Harvard and it's okay, right? So this thing where... I mean, think of what schools cost right now. It's like, it's you joke. know, for those, remember, remember those big classes with like 200 people in an auditorium? Yep. You're literally paying that teacher $10,000 an hour collectively to stand up there and jabber on, right? Yeah. About a bunch of stuff you could watch on YouTube. So I think that's just over. Right? I think you that's know, the biggest, <laughs> I think that's the biggest one that was due. And now you're going to have these empty bills. They're like cities that are just going to be empty. 
yeah, what's the point, right? And then they have so many administrators for teacher, and then you see the same thing in the hospital, so many administrators for doctor and nurse, you know, and then, you know, you have it in all these companies, all these layers of matrix management. Nobody can make a decision. No one's accountable. It's all being, being exposed right now. Yeah. And so for you, financial system, in-country's financials, data is the big one? Yeah, our two biggest sectors are financial services and healthcare and government, right? And those you're are the sad. ones that are all accelerating. Yeah. I mean, that's where the money is pouring into right now, right? And yeah. and if you're a bank in, I don't know, Saudi Arabia, you can't say, well, come on down to the branch, right? They all have to get online, like right now, <laughs> you know, let alone Africa, Indonesia, you know, honestly, for the rest of the world, the developing countries, especially South, South America, uh, you know, Africa, you know, I'll never forget this. Like in 2004 or five, I can't remember the exact year, I went scuba diving in Mozambique and central Mozambique. I remember telling everybody, eh, you know, I'm going to be offline for a week. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, I was flying on this, you know, Russian turboprop, you know, and, and I'll never forget this. You know, every few kilometers, there was like a red cell tower with a with a solar panel on it. And on my BlackBerry curve, I had a GPRS connection because they just skipped landlines. And I think they're going to skip a bunch of stuff, right? There, yeah. There's like... You know, they're not going to be build high speed rail (laughs) or universities or doctor's offices all over the place. Right. They're going to do telemedicine, online banking, distance education. Right. You know, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, we got to build a train. No, you build a well marked road that layer level three automation can drive on <laughs> and have a bunch of pods. Right? It's oh, not excited. complicated, right? Yeah. Fix the road, you know, don't fix the cars. <laughs> They're never going to drive themselves. It's know? so level-headed. All right, my man. Well, I'll have you back on, but I'm so excited for you and in country. Thanks for taking the time uh, and uh, being on panic with friends and stay safe. Hey, great to talk with you, man. Thanks so much, dude. Okay. See you, Pete. Bye. Ooh, high energy. Energy level is great, but his attitude, oh my God, Always it's like 150%. Yeah. It's fantastic. Not like a typical engineer. No knock on engineers, but he's not typical. No, he's... Uh, he just gets shit he, done. He thinks with both GSD. sides of the brain. Yeah. So there you have it. That's why, now you can tell why people are, do better than other people. Guys like Peter, man. Unstoppable force of uh, energy uh, on all the right trends. FinTech, healthcare, deglobalization. You talk about... and. And not, not really even caring about decentralized, like gets it, but it's like, no, this fintech, healthcare, gold, you know, everybody's got a different way to look at the world. I thought, he, I thought people would appreciate his, his unique look. Clear headed guy. Okay, everybody. See you soon on Panic with Friends.